Hello and welcome to Climate Change Unfolding. I hope you're all safe in your respective places around the world. It's mid-April 2020 when I'm recording, just like billions of others around the world. I'm watching what, what's happening everywhere around the world as this crazy corona pandemic sweeps across the globe. So sending good vibes out to everyone who's suffering right now, and especially to those on the front lines of this whole thing. Such a lot of gratitude to all those people. And as with all crisis, not all people suffering equally. It remains to be seen quite how badly this thing affects the developing world, but definitely a sense that the privilege again are transferring their risk to the underprivileged. Um, I'm sat at home in Uganda on lockdown. My businesses are basically all closed for the foreseeable future. <laughs> so I've got zero income, but um, I have savings and I have a bit of sustainability consultancy work on the side. So I'm grateful to be in a beautiful place with my immediate family who are all safe. And I'm also grateful to have enough savings to sustain my staff as well as they ride through this as well. It's difficult for everyone here. Um, it's tough times worldwide and, and a lot of people suffering right now. So I'm just, I don't know, personally at least, I, I feel just very grateful that um, that everyone I know at this stage is safe and well. And best wishes to everyone who's not in, in you know, not in such a, um, a fortunate situation. Anyway, while all this is unfolding, much like most people, I'd imagine, the first few weeks was kind of a shock. Every day things are changing, trying to get life organized, business in my businesses, constantly changing dynamic, you know, working out all sorts of things. A lot of people I'm responsible for, immediate family, but, um, you know, but also a whole bunch of very dependent staff, a, a decent-sized team who depend on me for income. So that few weeks was a bit all-consuming, but... I kept hearing all sorts of things related to climate change and I couldn't help but see and feel that the whole dynamic is so unsettled. Everything just changed, a huge upheaval to the way the world operates in the short term, the medium term and the long term. So where are we now as a climate movement? <laughs> what does corona mean for environment and, and for climate change? So once things had settled down for my own personal life and I got my staff and my life on track, at least it settled into a new status quo, I started reading and thinking about it more. And it, and it struck me that, um, you know, I might not be the only one interested in trying to get my head around <laughs> what all this means for the environmental movement. So I, I'm going to have a crack at sharing various things I found interesting, at least, and hopefully interesting listening to everyone um, who's listening. But as always, you know, just take what you like, ditch what you don't. I'm, you know, I'm a passionate and interested layman rather than a, like you know a leading scientist or anything so um just take what you like ditch what you don't but um before i launch into it by the way i just wanted to make something very clear and, and at times i'm going to mention positive impacts and some negative you know it's a bit of a roller coaster this whole covid and climate thing but you know it's a total roller coaster actually so um when I say positive, I don't mean it in a way that's insensitive to the suffering people are experiencing. And I'm definitely not saying this is a good thing. This is not how we want positive action on environment and climate to come about. And so when I say it's positive, it's mainly purely in a context of, you know, of environment. And positive steps towards emissions reduction, strong climate action does not need to look like this. And we don't want the world thinking that they've got to go into pandemic mode to have positive impact on the environment it's the it's the way we live and the way our system operates not the fact that we live that is the problem and specifically it's the way that certain corporations and elite individuals live that's the bulk of the problem so with that in mind 
Let's buckle up, get ready for this crazy roller coaster. How has the coronavirus affected the climate crisis? I'm going to start with the most obvious greenhouse gas emissions. You know, it seems almost certain this year that emissions will be down from 2019. China, for example, compared to the same period last year, had a drop of 25% emissions over February and March, which is huge. And the impacts obviously now have spread worldwide. An important caveat on, on that reduction is it's not true reduction. It's expected that as soon as they're able, industrial emissions are going to ramp up again. And in some cases, they're going to work higher production and higher emissions, obviously, um, to make up for lost time. So the bounce back expected to be pretty brutal for emissions. And, and industry may, in, in some circumstances, eat into much of the emissions that saved um, during the lockdown. But there are likely ongoing disruptions. So even if uh, they want to ramp up to double production, let's say, Corona's going to continue to disrupt the workforce, supply lines, and other things affecting industry for a very long time. So these impacts are not insignificant on the, um, on the amount of emissions. GDP is a reasonable indicator of emissions. In a, re- in a simplistic way, every dollar we spend, whatever we spend it on, services, products, transport, whatever, has some kind of carbon emissions. So if GDP is slashed by corona, you end up dropping the emissions um, as well. And obviously, GDP is not perfect indicator of emissions, Lower carbon technologies, huge shift in consumer choices, efficiency, and so on could could change the emissions whilst GDP remains constant. But historically, at least, every time there's a massive hike or drop in global GDP, the emissions go alongside it. So it's pretty obvious that the financial repercussions of Corona will be huge. And whilst financial collapse is bad for a whole host of reasons, particularly for its impact on the more vulnerable in society, it's actually good news for emissions give an example of a, a sector that's massively affected airline emissions have absolutely plummeted you know I looked around for some figures on that and 67 million less passengers flew in the first three months of 2020 in the second quarter that's going to be even less because firm rest- restrictions globally only came in about halfway through the first quarter and that's a huge reduction in glo- uh, greenhouse gases it's not clear how quickly air travel will bounce back either but it won't be straight away it's hard to imagine some form of limitations on travel and quarantines not lasting at least until a vaccine has been made readily available and well distributed to a significant portion of the world's population you know some countries having got on top of their outbreaks are hardly going to be very keen to let it back in even so even if it is not a full border block and mandatory 14-day quarantines you know, they've got to decrease the incentive of flying, that's for sure. You know, as we transition out of all of this chaos, even if it's because the whole world is trending towards herd immunity, because most people have had it, if you haven't had it, or if you're unsure if you've had it or not, how psyched are you going to be to locked in a giant tube with 300 people breathing recirculated air at 30,000 feet for eight hours? Some people don't like flying anyway, but this is hardly going to improve their that. <laughs> And financially too, people are going to be staying closer to home for the holidays for a while and rapid forced transition into technology use for conferences, meetings is going to cut into business travel massively and also makes financial sense for companies fighting for survival rather than paying for business flights and setting up teleconferencing setup. So another thing connected to emissions that the coronavirus is going to have a big impact on is the transition to renewables. 
likely issues that the financial crisis associated with corona could stall or slow down the shift to clean energy. Access to capital locks up. It'll become difficult for companies to secure financing for renewable projects. And it's and it's pretty likely that some projects that are um, speculative are going to be pushed on the back burner while everyone's dealing with the immediate you know, supply chains also for renewable projects are already stumbling a little bit because of disruption to global supply chain. Um, but the counter to that is a green st- stimulus, which I guess I'll talk about later, is a huge opportunity to affect that and make real changes. I'll talk about that in a bit, but um, first let me finish on emissions. Here's an interesting thing. According to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, 2020 is the year that carbon emissions have to peak if we're to keep at 1.5 degrees of global warming. And that seemed like almost an impossibility a few months ago. But now, who knows what's going to happen? You know, emissions were expected to peak this decade anyway as the energy transition winds up. But um, but with the downturn, the change of behaviours, maybe if we really play our cards right moving forward, it might turn out that 2019 was already the peak emissions for humankind. And by the way, I don't mean drawdown here, just to clarify. You know, drawdown is where you get to negative emissions, but I mean reversing the trend of releasing more greenhouse gas each year than the previous year. And it's possible, at least, if society reacts in the right way, but it's a long way from a done deal. (laughs) We have to be wary that when society opens up again, it's likely going to be fueled by fossil fuel, just like it has been previously. So these big savings in emissions are not true savings in the long term yeah while i'm on fossil fuel let me seamlessly transition into those dirty fossil fuel companies and their uh, puppet buffoon in the white house (laughs) the next thing i want to talk about is dirty i told you'd be in a roller coaster but here's one of the lows coming at you right here so while society and media attention is elsewhere, you know, trying to look after the welfare of its citizens, you know, certain governments and corporations under the cover of COVID-19 are pushing through all sorts of terrible things. And it makes my blood boil. <laughs> you know, it's, a, it's pretty common knowledge that Trump's been working to dismantle everything Obama did. You know, sometimes I actually think it's just he's just doing it out of spite kind of for his own ego so he can look better than Obama did. <laughs> you know rather than like because he objects to everything that was implemented but anyway something Obama did was implement more stringent standards for passenger vehicles the cars sold I think over five years would save six billion tons of greenhouse gases and that apparently makes it the largest single action ever made to address climate change and to reduce emissions you know and that's a huge huge amount and yeah because we're all terrible at grasping numbers let me give you a reference. Six billion tons of CO2 is equivalent to a whole year's worth of CO2 emissions for the US. And the US is no small limiter. <laughs> you know, if you if you don't think we're bad with numbers, by the way, consider if I said six million tons, would it have made a thousand times less impact on you? <laughs> um, anyway, that's a total side note. <laughs> Bacteria. Under the cover of COVID, after backdoor meetings with the fossil fuel industry, Trump's administration is now dismantling those regulations and they're rolling the whole thing back. And let's just process that for a second. You know, at the time when the world is reeling from a major respiratory disease, Trump rolls back the biggest pollution deregulation in history. 
<laughs> There's such irony. And the legislation um, openly admits the rollbacks would mean future job losses about 10,000 fewer auto industry jobs per year in the US alone. And Trump does this, this the same week that 3 million Americans filed for unemployment. <laughs> it's totally shameless. Oh my God. Rich getting richer at the expense of everyone else, and including the environment. And just to make that more crazy, Think about it. Many of the same people that are going to be affected, losing their jobs, inhaling the fumes, kids dying of air pollution, you know, um, they're voting for Trump. <laughs> they think it's the, the people's hero. Wake up, people, wake up. Anyway, you know, even the auto industry, by the way, were a bit jarred by the scale of that rollback. And mostly they just wanted s- smaller changes that allowed them to keep selling their quite profitable vehicles, the SUVs and the high emitting vehicles. But it seems basically Trump administration was responding less to the auto industry and more to a concerted backdoor campaign by the oil industry to roll back fuel economy. Every ton that they burn is, is more profit, you know. And by the way, something worth mentioning which is, I don't know if this is encouraging or not, but, you know, they also wanted to remove an incentive for car makers to switch to more climate-friendly chemical refrigerants. If that sounds like a like a, a sideshow, if you go to drawdown.org, the number one solution for tackling climate change in terms of effectiveness is changing refrigerant chemical use. It doesn't get much as much headlines as it should, but um, and that's because the refrigerant uh, chemicals used are like, really potent uh, greenhouse gases like several thousand times worse than co2 anyway auto manufacturers chemical industry and environmental industry on mass push back in in the face of the onslaught the trump, <laughs> the trump administration let that one slide so it, it goes to show despite all the corruption and greed uh, voice matters in these things and the more powerful and united that voice the better so i think it's really important to acknowledge even in the face of major environmental setbacks the pushing back that the environmental does can still make a powerful difference to the scale of the setback and that makes a huge difference to emissions even when it feels like we're failing and losing stay strong (laughs) you know stay strong people that's an important fight to take on and just because it went through doesn't mean um, the actions didn't matter. And by the way, it's not just Trump either. There's a whole list of things. There's the Keystone XL pipeline, big oil seizing their moment, new laws without an obvious ending endpoint, making it illegal in a number of states to um, incite a protest about fossil fuel extraction, you know, reclassing fossil fuels as an industry that's critical to national security, which allows them access to all of the grants and uh, stimulus <laughs> and they're, they're doing all this now knowing full well it'll get a fraction of the attention and it'll be horrifically unethical for protesters to go out and protest on mass right now imagine the public opinion on crowds of protesters it's the perfect cover you know there's other things plastic lobby overturning plastic bans on plastic bags you know, China's moving to roll back environmental regulation on its industrial sector also to help an immediate short-term financial recovery. In the Amazon, you know, the right-wing Brazilian president, uh, president's using the cover of COVID to, to ravage, like, large sections of the natural ecosystem. Ecuador's just um, in talks about selling off a third of its rainforest. And they're all working to push things through while people are looking the other way. You know, personally, my attitude, this is a really, really important point I'm going to make now. My attitude, I, I was ignorant of this. 
until very recently. My attitude towards climate change um, during this corona crisis really flipped when I was looking at all this stuff, you know. Um, it almost felt to me previously like it was kind of insensitive to think and talk about climate movement right now. Like, oh, now's not the time, you know, we've got a more immediate thing going on. And, you know, and now I'm thinking, holy crap, this is our time. This is our moment, you know. this We've got a bigger impact now than any other time in history, possibly. You know, especially when it comes to all the stimulus and other things that I'm going to get to on in a minute. But it's a hard time, but not a time when we can switch off, assuming everyone else is doing the same. And we can't let people make us feel guilty for speaking up about environmental issues right now either. We need to do it in a considerate way and a sensitive way. But people need to also be educated about the dirty things going on behind closed doors right now. You know, if you're one of those people like me, locked up at home, let's use our time to to fight, to mobilize, communicate and educate. You know, even if it's the last thing we feel like doing. Okay, I said it was going to be a roller coaster. And that was all bleak about the environmental rollback. So let's go something good on my list. Pollution. (laughs) Actually, that came out wrong. Hear me out here. Pollution is not good. Pollution is bad. Staggeringly bad, actually. Actually, which is kind of my point. You know, a crazy amount of people die each year from pollution. Time magazine um, reported that 9 million people died in 2015 from pollution and 6.5 million of those because of air pollution. The World Health Organization has... Slightly different figures, but and it depends a bit on exactly how they categorise deaths, but there are 4.6 million people directly because of air pollution. Even if you take the WHO's figures, the smaller amount of the two, that's 12,600 people a day. Deaths from pollution-linked diseases are three times higher than AIDS, TB and malaria combined, which is crazy. You know, the changes to society imposed by because of coronavirus has massively reduced pollution. And this is why I was saying it's... Is some good news in amongst the bad you know we're, we're pumping way less pollution into the atmosphere and uh, there's a stanford university research that's been going around very recently that calculated that the improvement in air quality in china during uh, like a six-week period i think it was they um saved the lives of seventy-seven thousand people and that's 20 times more than the number that died in china because of covid at the same period you know which is wild and you know, add to that in the mix that pollution hits young kids under the age of five disproportionately, much higher so than corona does. And it also has like significant long-term effects on many, many, many more than it kills. That's a significant factor in all this. You know, let me get this straight here. I'm not saying corona's not a big deal, you know. I know it's not the flu. <laughs> and also that those China, big, uh, those China figures can't accurately be extrapolated around the world. And who knows what's going to happen as, things, as corona continues to spread. But, you know, but people all over the world die from pollution. It's not just China. And I'm, all I'm saying here is take a little comfort when we see all these horrible things going on and the deaths racking up that for every family torn apart by a COVID tragedy, there's another, possibly a number of others, who's not going to go through that same tragedy with air pollution related death. You know, it's some weird twisted solace, perhaps. And it's uh, it's worth a mention because of the massive figures and, and because of the under-representation that air pollution gets, generally. I'd also actually like to speculate something on that and hope that, um, that having now seen how quickly air clears and felt how wonderful a, f- a lungful of fresh air is, is it possible... 
and seeing views like they've never seen it before. Is it possible that populations living in these areas will less tolerate a return to the lung-choking death zones that many have had to live with for, for decades? You know, last few years, there have been huge protests in China about the pollution. They might very well demand some change now. And, and this, you know, getting this brief respite, partly that's good for the immediate deaths that were saved, but also maybe more so might help in the long run by really underscoring to those populations how quickly and how effectively change can happen. It's not just air pollution, of course. There's other, other kinds of pollution have plummeted too. Water quality, for example, unnoticed by many. You know, environments on the edge of, um, of being poisoned or getting a reprieve, even if it's only temporary that, you know, and there's, there's been all the, you know, viral social media posts about clear Venice canals, you know, with swans and dolphins and deers on the streets and wild goats in Welsh towns and you know, deserted Welsh towns. It, you know, it's a bit gimmicky social media wise, but it, it does represent um, a serious temporary cleaning of, of some uh, some environments and you know it provides us some humor and food for the soul and and some sort of short-term solace for the for nature i read also one place which you know one source had a huge reduction in projections for the number of roadkill this year it was i think it was like three hundred thousand less hedgehogs are expected to die on roadkill in the uk because of corona that's just crazy so Hold that thought of beautiful dolphins in clear Venice canals and hedgehogs living long, happy lives with their grandchildren or <laughs> grand hogs or whatever you call them, <laughs> whatever you call a baby hedgehog. I'm going to slap you with a bleaker side of wildlife too that I think is actually um, not as considered. All of those things that we've just been talking about there are developed world um, wildlife stories. And in the developing world, tourism is a core income source. And that's pretty much completely collapsed worldwide just to give you an idea quite how serious collapse of tourism is tourism represents 10 percent of worldwide gdp and at least that in percentage of jobs and much higher percentage in the developing world and so an income and the reason i'm connecting it now is income from national parks pays rangers helps provide vital income to surrounding communities with no income and no other option, poaching is going to soar. Developing countries generate much of their tax revenue from tourism as well. And countries in desperate financial situation, they're going to get pretty ruthless with depleting natural re resources and ecosystems for immediate financial support and survival. And that's true both on national and individual level. So the old adage, we can't be an environmentalist till we have food on the table and a roof above our heads. And I can literally see that playing out from where I am right now. I'm looking at the Nile River. Trees have been cleared by people, lost their factory jobs to plant food. And and right out front in front of me, there's twice as many fishing boats out on the, on the water as normal. And people need food and many can't work. And they're looking at their immediate resources, as we all would, by the way. I'm, I'm not casting any judgment here. Um, I would do the same in their cir same circumstance. But they're looking for strategies to live, to eat, and survive this, and look after their families. But that's happening world over, and it's going to have serious repercussions, and they're going to need support. Final thing on wildlife, which is something positive that might come out of this. Is this pretty likely? I'd say that there's a there's a tightening up of illegal wildlife trade, and China's the number one by a long way importer of illegal poaching, wildlife goods, whether for food or other reasons. And given COVID nineteen came about 
from a wet market linked to illegal wildlife trade, bats, possibly even jump from pangolins, you know, traffic from Africa. You know, it's, it's very likely the rest of the world are going to hold China pretty accountable when this when the dust settles on the immediate concern. They're going to there's going to be some backlash, and China China going to want to clean up their image there as well for sure because um, they're trying to protect their their national image. So I think there's a real opportunity for a massive crackdown on illegal wildlife trade, and that's a positive thing in the long run. Personal behavior change is an enormous and fascinating area with this coronavirus pandemic. You know, many of the behaviors forced upon us during this crisis are positive environmentally. I'm not saying environmental action advocates for living in isolation, quite the opposite, actually. But for example, less business travel, more teleconferencing, more working from home, more homeschooling, less international trade, more buying local, increased focus on food security, which means essentially growing food at home or closer to home, you know, even healthcare, general practice appointments, you know, and inquiries that aren't, aren't medical emergencies are being done digitally right now. You know, why not keep that service running for the things it makes sense to? You know, it reduces travel time, travel reduces cost, risk of transmission of other things too, you know. So many of these things were filtering into our society gradually over, over a sequence of years anyway and often are improvements not all, of course, you know, but um, but this has been a serious fast track on those behavior changes and people are by necessity forced into it and overcoming some of those major issues that were holding these behavioral changes back, you know, atrophy, resistance to change, the, the process of learning new behaviors, especially, especially people who are sort of stuck in their ways and adapting to it. And the status quo has been giving a massive kick up the backside. The key question then is how sticky are these actions going to be? You know, is this the new normal or will society flip straight back to the old way? Um, a realistic answer, I think, is somewhere in between. And, you know, some things are here to stay. If, if it was a three week complete lockdown and then a clean jump back to normal, all restrictions and all health issues gone, you know, with what, a clean break, a lot of behaviors would just be abandoned and people just flip back to their old life. But that's actually not an out- likely outcome. Most likely here is we're in transition for many months and maybe even years as people adjust to post-COVID world, things slowly open up again, more lockdowns come in, if it gets out of hand again, you know, it may even be that teleconferencing and working from home and that sort of thing become the new status quo in, in some industries and then those wanting to flip back might have the original challenges in their way now, the, the atrophy and the uh, resistance to change, you know, so you know, for skill learning and technology adoption, people are not going to unlearn things. They're not going to uninstall Zoom from their computers. <laughs> you know, and speaking for someone who's um, running a company, looking through this, by the way, CEOs and business people right now are looking hard at their costs. They're looking at that office rent, huge monthly fixed expense. And, and then they're going to be looking at their employees and saying, are you happier working from home? Are you more productive? Can you get the job done? Why don't we just slash this office cost, you know, to its absolute minimum? And the same is that possibly true for individuals as well. People lose their jobs. They're forced to make big financial cutbacks to what they used to feel were essential spending. And, and they realize that actually it was totally superfluous to their needs. It's very possible people will adjust their notion of essential and realize that quite a few things they're actually quite frivolous and just brought them no joy and cost them a lot of money. So, you know, on a staggering scale with billions of people, these small adjustments are happening and might have real impacts on wasteful, destructive sort of consumerism type society. So in short, 
some behaviors are obviously going to flip back to previous you know but others that make sense financially productivity you know socially bring more joy to people's life they're here to stay and there's a real long-term positive behavioral change for the environment movement that that can come out of this shifts in collective psychology with this ongoing crisis is huge and complex and critical to try and understand and it's fascinating subject it's scary i worry for people that are feeling very isolated right now and the mental health repercussions on all that side of things but it's a bit hard to be clear and scientific about this because everyone's so isolated and things are the dust only going to settle on this years from now people are still going to be working this out so this is you know this is all quite speculative so take what you want from it but i think no matter what field you're in now business climate or whatever it's worth really trying to understand the collective changes going on and behave in a sensitive way to those around you so here goes on a few collective psychology potential impacts on the climate movement the first impact that immediately jumps out at me is that the climate is no longer the crisis that people are focused on Corona is consuming everyone's attention and media's bandwidth and the climate crisis and the climate movement, which is getting more coverage and attention than it ever had. Given the daily updates and the rapid moving coronavirus, you know, the climate crisis feels much further away. And with this change of dynamic, concern is that governments, businesses, investors, every sector of interest group really might forgo positive steps they were planning and prioritize short term economic gain or short term economic survival, maybe above all else, you know. And, and, and by the way, I mentioned it before, but I do object to that framing of economy or environmental action. It's a really destructive framing that really slows down environmental action. And it's not true. The financial case for climate action couldn't be stronger. You know, the cost of inaction is far greater than the cost of action. You know, and many climate solutions pay back more than pay back over time. But that climate action versus profit thing is a very ingrained ideology and does have some element of truth in the immediate short term. So anyway, it might be a concern that um, people just deregulate and deprioritize climate action for short-term thinking. Secondly, something positive is it's pretty abundantly obvious from coronavirus response that if government and society really want it, massive mobilization can happen in a very short time. All the money that governments just found out of nowhere for enormous bailouts... There was a tenth of that when we needed some upfront finance for climate action last year. You know, everyone who was saying it's a complete impossibility, complete impractically to come up with some funds for government to, you know, speed the um, energy transition, hmm, you know, kind of pales into insignificance when they're bringing like back to back massive stimulus. So I think the climate movement has a very real justification for. Um, uh, calling bu um, bullshit on on that argument although i'm sure what's going to happen is, is once this immediate crisis is over the argument is going to be well now we have to deal with the debt you know so during a, any crisis and this happens during hurricane hurricane no we have to concentrate on re rebuilding it's not the time to think about climate um investment you know long-term climate investment you know we have to deal with the immediate crisis and then when it quietens down they say it's too expensive. And then when the next uh, crisis comes along and you're looking to stimulate jobs, it's just pure insensitive to try and um, do two things at once. You know, and when, when you could just as well, if you're trying to stimulate the economy, green jobs is about as good an access as you could get to that. Anyway, there was this feeling prior to this crisis, at least, that modern society was just so solid, robust, 
unchangeable. You know, the last month goes to show that changes can happen quickly if we want it to. And crisis can come up that can really rock the society to its core. People might take climate crisis a bit more seriously now that they've lived through a real crisis. As people transition out of this immediate health crisis, it's possible they might look forward at the climate crisis and take it much more seriously. You know, especially if the impacts are doubling up. Climate doesn't care that the virus is spreading around the globe. Hurricane season is coming, wildfire season is on its way, northern hemisphere, droughts, floods, crop disruptions. You know, actually, there is an example of something that's climate change oriented going on at the moment. There's insanely large locust storms, you know, fueled by the increase in temperatures and the changes to climate raging through East Africa right now. I think it's 10 kilometers wide. And that, by the way, is a big deal because they come through, eat an entire crop and they just clean everything and then move on to the next area. So they leave a trail of devastation and when everyone's in subsistence farming, it's a really serious big deal. Anyway, a critical thing then to understand, which is my point that I'm trying to get to, about both corona and climate is they're both threat multipliers. So as one crisis loads up on top of another, the climate impacts double up with coronavirus restrictions it's going to be really ugly and highlight how ill-equipped society is to deal with a climate crisis. And if that does happen, it's possible people will stop thinking about these two things as two completely separate crises. One immediate short-term one and one long-term, you know, climate change problem that, that our grandchildren are going to have to deal with, you know. And I think that it's a horrible thing to think about, actually, um, the doubling up of these two things, you know, people being forced into huge shelters after a hurricane, with a thousand people in a school gymnasium with coronavirus also going ongoing. But anyway, um, let's not get too into the, the bleak details, but it might bring things forwards and highlight the climate crisis in the process. Another potential collective psychological impact is that society might be just so sick of suffering or so preoccupied with their own short-term struggles you know especially those really struggling and this would be understandable that climate will be the last of their concerns and that not really going to help climate mobilization or action so that's one factor that might hinder one of the key challenges for climate action is getting people to act decisively early before it's hurting too much and there's a real clear correlation between climate and um, corona that I'd like to point out here. What if Chinese government had successfully contained it as soon as it became a threat? They didn't try and cover it up, but they aggressively, proactively acted before it got out. And corona has shown once things really get going properly, a crisis is really hurting. It's really too late to stop it. And then you're just playing damage limitation. You know, the same is true with climate. There's a reprioritizing of what's really important going on. I've already mentioned the consumerism thing, you know, people are going to take, but people collectively, psychologically are going to be taking a little bit less of a self-centered outlook on life, kind of more sort of community oriented and supportive uh, society approach. And political focus also shifted from individual consumption to collective well-being. The narrative, at least, has changed dramatically. Out of things like the Second World War that also rocked society dramatically, you know, society came out much kinder and a lot of like really positive steps for the welfare of planet and human as a species came out of those years immediately after World War Two. You know, things like um, peace agreements and creating a you know a European Union for all that um, you know topic right now. But anyway. 
things like National Health Service came, um, came out of there. It's really unclear where this crisis might take the political spectrum. Are people going to close their borders, increase nationalism, racism, and think only for themselves, you know, move more sort of out to the like real sort of far end of the right spectrum and towards fascism? Or will certainly anyone believing, you know, purely in the free market being the solution to all problems, if they're looking honestly at the situation, can't really think the free market is the best way of dealing with a crisis like Corona, <laughs> you know, and, and free market with small government ideals are hard to reconcile with enormous government bailouts and these government interventions that are necessary, clearly necessary right now. But anyway, I'm not a political expert. So who knows what's going to happen in a political sphere, but no doubt this coronavirus has changed that. And there's no doubt that who is in power politically matters when it comes to climate crisis. There's a bizarre twist, by the way, connected with this um, psychology aspect. It turns out that climate denialists are also corona denialists. <laughs> you know, if it wasn't so bloody dangerous, it would be funny. You know, instead of playing out over decades, though, it's playing out over a matter of months. You have amazing videos of, like, massive U-turns of far-right pundits and climate denialists on their social platforms, you know, calling it the flu, using phony science and dodgy graphs to explain why it's all going to go away. And then, and then, like, again, the climate denialists, like, calling out the climate scientists as being also corona alarmists, you know, and then three weeks later trying to squirm out of it. It's, it's actually, it's horrific to watch, but strangely kind of gratifying knowing that these people are being exposed as totally phony over a much shorter time frame than climate change has the capacity to do. This is part of the real bummer of climate change. You know, climate change denialists, they, they're wrong and most of the people already knows it and eventually the world is going to know it, but by then the damage that they're doing will be done. Now, I can't imagine there's a big crossover between climate change unfolding listeners and fox news fans but please 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 tell me some people who are watching fox news a month ago and are watching it now are thinking what the hell some people i hope are not buying the you know all that backtracking and excuses and blame surely some people are no you know maybe some there are just a few people that are thinking maybe just maybe rupert murdoch does not have my best interests at heart please give me that at least some people are waking up a bit here that would make me feel better at least for activism and the climate movement social distancing and lockdown is a total game changer certainly in the short term fridays for future and other similar movements are having more impact than they'd ever had but what happens now you know central to that movement was that physical presence you know that en masse and psychologically, for the people involved, there was something amazing in being part of a collective body of people, you know, that it can be isolating this climate thing in your own home, but collective action, it's empowering. You know, community is a critical part of um, that battle. And so clearly a new strategy is needed in lockdown. And, you know, what, and what happens on the other side of the immediate lockdown? Could be years transitioning out of this. How long until we see crowds of 300,000 people marching again? How do activists make their voices heard while society is being rebuilt? Moving things online, online talks, petitions, even legal cases maybe, but um, climate movement also needs a way of um, generating a sense of community because that's fuel um, for the movement and and the power behind the movement. And And it's also these big groups of people are a way of getting in the way of polluters. What's the digital version of 
tying yourself to a tree in front of a pipeline? You know, what's a digital version of 300,000 people marching in the streets demanding climate action? It's important time to get creative, innovative, you know, and there's options out there. And especially because um, crony capitalists and big oil are pushing harder than ever to consolidate their position in society. I can't help seeing comparisons between climate crisis and corona crisis. And I've already mentioned a number of them, but I wanted to highlight a few more because I think there's some great lessons here. And, and I think it's really interesting um, to see some of the crossovers and lessons we've even learned from climate crisis playing out in the corona crisis. Now, an example of that is blaming individuals, putting the blame on individuals. So this is a great strategy for those at the top because it deflects from their own failings, right? So fossil fuels have spent hundreds of million dollars on campaigns that promote climate action. Yeah, that's that's right. Promote climate action. Hundreds of millions of dollars. But their campaigns have a huge emphasis on individual behaviors, knowing full well that people aren't really going to change that much. And um, it massively downplays the role of fossil fuels in that whole mix. And so if the cr- climate crisis escalates, you know, it's not government's fault. It's not corporations' fault. It's not fossil fuels companies' fault. It's because the general population are just selfish. You know, they didn't change their light bulbs or do whatever, you know. And social distancing fails are the same here. By showcasing examples of population being irresponsible, it seems like governments are doing all they can, doing everything they should have, but the irresponsible... People are the real problem. The failings are with the people, not the people in power. You know, so most of the people end up hating the, you know, population, but but um, thinking the governments are doing all they can. And it's textbook crossover and perfect spin for governments. I'm not saying there's no truth or that there's no reason to encourage good behavior, but it's something to keep in mind that it's a spin that not many people were aware of. So don't get sucked into all of this. It's all the people's fault. There's also a a bullshit argument against climate action touted by denialists and hard-right politicians that it's cheaper to adapt than it is to act preventatively. The same has been said about corona by by pretty much the same people. And consider, would it have been better to act swiftly, proactively, powerfully, early and contain this virus in Wuhan? Or is it cheaper and better for the economy to aim for worldwide herd immunity? Let's not act swiftly. Let's stop it before it's a problem. That would just be bad for the economy, they say. Uh, let it do its thing. It's just like the flu. We'll adapt to COVID and, and we'll have the best ever economy. Wrong answer. Not just for humanity, but also for the economy. Once it gets going properly, it ravages the economy. You can't just leave people dying on the side of the street and carry on as normal. And climate change is a longer lasting and most likely more serious, actually, crisis um, if left unchecked. Do we just carry on emitting and adapt to climate change? It'll be better for the economy. Wrong answer again. Not just for humanity, but also for the economy. And also um, better for unimaginable amounts of other life on Earth <laughs> that stands to be affected by the climate change uh, crisis as well. I want to talk about waste. Discussing where waste here is perhaps even more complex is emissions. I'm not sure if it's net positive or, or negative, but here are some thoughts. There's certainly some changes going on just really quickly. Medical waste is crazy right now. Mountains of single-use gowns, test kits, medical gloves, single-use masks, single-use tissues, you know, swabs. It's necessary. I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. It's just one of those things. And, you know, also medical waste associated with COVID has to be burnt. Um, so a lot of this is, you know, pollu- you know, causing quite a lot of pollution itself and so you know and then there's like 
on a company level, let's, you know, for example, let's say Starbucks, apart from being a company that's openly prioritized profits over welfare of their employees, by the way, started um, refusing reusable cups, only single-use non-recyclable, um, which is still non-recyclable. How can they have non-recyclable single-use cups, right, in, in 2020, you know? But anyway, I also imagine... Customers, you know, uh, are making altered choices based on practicalities. You know, prepackaged foods definitely feel safer right now, you know, if they're out and about. And then again, billions of plastic items thrown away, singing plastic straws, plates, bottles, cups, packaging from all of the world's cancelled events, sporting events, festivals, business events where they're just like throwing stuff away, you know, single-use bottles and whatever else. People, put simply, use less disposable stuff when they're at home. And people growing far more food in their food lots and gardens too. And that's about as local and low emissions and low waste as you can get. COP26 is the follow-up to previous major international climate conferences and really critical for world unity on climate action. And, you know, obviously the, the most famous of these conferences are the Paris in 2015. It's scheduled for 2020, but it's now being postponed to 2021. <laughs> you know, it was obviously the right thing to do during an immediate crisis. It wouldn't have got the attention it deserves. It also would have created a health risk and actually been hard to run properly and plan for. And this gives us all more time and hopefully, and keep our fingers crossed, maybe a democratic president of the United States of America. Um, please, America. Um, you know, recent... COP conferences have had representatives from the Trump admin and, you know, ex-fossil fuel execs being sent there to try and undermine the whole process by actively trying to disharmonize the uh, the response. So if America, and then that undermines all sorts of other people, like China don't want to act as strongly if America isn't at the table, neither do other countries. And certainly some of the developing countries, India and, and the developing world, I think well, America has one of the highest per capita emissions in the world and the second highest emitter. Why should we take financial investments if America are not? So it really has a powerful impact. Um, it's not good that there's a delay, but it is good that there is a chance that there is a more favorable administration um, and a bit more opportunity for world unity. Something to consider is that all of the ongoing climate research, you know, ongoing data gathering, for example, uh, are really being affected right now. It might even lead to long-term gaps in critical data, you know, leading science institutions, universities, NASA, they're all on telework, you know, work at, work at home, and a lot of disruption going on to the ongoing sort of research and um and that's all critical to the climate movement. You know, it's based on science, right? So, um, so it's, it's, I'm unsure quite how broad and deep that impact is, but another factor, you know, of, of corona in the mix. NHS and universal healthcare. Got to talk about this, you know, even though it's not directly environment. You know, one of the things I object to pretty strongly is corporate interests mixing with healthcare. Often I find myself pretty central in the political spectrum and, you know, I see a, a, a mix between, like, you know, the need for entrepreneurial and, and like, capacity for business to, and, and a free market to innovate and, and create and design efficiency. You know, but then there are times where I really am I'm quite passionately supportive of things being universal. And, you know, like the American healthcare system is just so unjust. Profiteering from people's ill health, lack of humanity, it just, 
it just makes me so sick you know it's it, so this topic isn't directly environment but it's social justice and there you know and there is no environmental justice without social justice and i watched with a sinking feeling as the the conservatives in the uk over a number of years consistently cut funding squeezed it quietly working privatized healthcare into it and slowly trying to dismantle it you know Good luck to any politician trying to touch the NHS right now. It's perhaps more than any other institution captured people's hearts. A similar thing is happening worldwide to national health care. A crisis like this is terrible for the NHS, particularly for its undervalued workforce. But it's also helping to secure its future as an institution because of its almost universal public support. Let's talk bailouts government stimulus packages now this is a big one for the future of our planet and 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 will really determine whether corona has a net positive or, or negative impact on the climate movement and so worldwide stimulus packages have been flowing out at a rapid rate and certainly more are coming in in, in coming months and even years and the um, immediate priorities obviously uh, the government you know obviously need to be keeping people safe fed and housed and, and as much as possible retain their employment you know and so the and these things need to be addressed, of course, and, and green stimulus isn't actually very well aligned for that immediate thing. But as soon as that immediate crisis is passed and, and governments are thinking about reinflating economies, which they already are, we have to make sure green policies are captured in them. That's critical. And, you know, there are, there are major corporate bailouts going on at the same time as these, like, individual people's stimulus you know some of the biggest and often worst polluting industries are clamoring for payouts you know and and i hope we learn here last time a massive financial crisis came about in 2008 no strings attached bailouts for the banks okay or that's a bit paraphrasing but basically that was the case and they go back to doing what they've always done but there wasn't a in everyone's excuse there wasn't a plan for something on that scale you know it hadn't happened in a long time and and there wasn't a plan for something greener and a different option at that time. But now we do. We have like really well thought out Green New Deals in Europe and the US. And plans are ready to go now. Politicians ready to put them forwards. The, you know, the public already know about it. And there's actually quite a broad uh, support for them even before the, the crisis. So there are tons of things we could be doing in these bailouts. Certainly no bailouts for the industries that don't have a place in a low-carbon future. And any bailouts that are happening with polluting industries, they need to come with conditions that strong environmental conditions, you know. Otherwise, they can ask their shareholders for contributions, just like many small and medium businesses are left to do. There's a good article on this in Bloomberg NEF written by uh, Michael Liebrix, and, and he outlines some suggestions for what could be included in the bailouts. I'll leave a, I'll leave a link in the show notes, but... In the article, he says something that really got me going. I'm going to give you a quote here. Okay, quote. In the past few weeks, U.S. Airlines companies have asked Congress for 50 billion bailout. Yet, according to analysis by Bloomberg, over the past decade, the largest of them distributed no less than 96% of their free cash flow back to investors by share, share buybacks. This week, the UK's EasyJet announced it would be making a £174 million dividend at the same time as saying it might need government support to survive. Uh, end quote. I'm going to jump out of the, the quote for now and have a rant. <laughs> this is such bullshit. You know, companies making good money need to hold back a reserve for this kind of thing. You can't pay out big bonuses to your shareholders, big bonuses to CEOs, and then lay off all your low-grade employees a week into a crisis, not refund your customers, and then come begging for public funds so you, so you can continue to pollute with no restrictions. You know, so, such short-term thinking 
selfish crony capitalism bullshit and you know and on a personal <laughs> on a personal level you know i i'm a businessman you know i open a number of businesses have done for like i don't know 15 years now i operate my, my businesses with a buffer if you're doing well it's crazy not to unless you're so big and selfish you don't care about the team of employees that you that work for you and and, and unless you've got you know you've got government officials in your back pocket to bail you out in case things get bad and you know the reason these huge companies can be so overextended and short-term is because they know government will step in. The banks are the same. They squeeze all the reserves for the shareholders and the CEOs, and then they come begging. You know, if they knew they wouldn't get it, they'd hold some reserves, you know, significant reserves, and they'd use those reserves to ride them through. Or they'd go to their shareholders and, and ask them to step in to keep them, keep them afloat. And so any company that didn't adopt those as standard practices wouldn't survive the downturns which come every you know once in a while and and that would be tough in the short term but other keep companies that keep good reserves would fill the void and good reserves would become standard practice if you believe in a free market you know as people tout for the 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 benefits of a free market you should let these companies fail send a powerful message to this free market that they need to act responsibly I'm very much not a fan, as you might have guessed, of like big business squeezing the system for everything they can and then government giving no strings attached payouts for big corporations. Such nonsense. And by the way, while we're on this business and I'm, I'm on a rant, I'm judging the hell out of companies right now. And you should be too. I want you to be paying attention to companies that do not give a crap about people's lives and that don't give a crap about their staff. And remember them when this chaos is over. And remember also the ones that are going above and beyond, looking after society, looking after their employees. You know, I'm not, I'm not talking about corporate bullshit PR. You know, look for genuine companies that care about humanity, you know, that are spending more time on that than they are about telling everyone how much they care and how wonderful they're doing. You know, remember those companies and vote with your wallet. Stay loyal. We have to do better than this crony capitalism bullshit. And, and we can all play a part in that by helping the right companies thrive. And sometimes it might cost a little bit more, but actually it's costing us all as a society much less if we all invest in the right companies and the, and the people doing the right thing by the environment and their people. Okay, run over. <laughs> Breathe. <laughs> Where was I? Bailouts. I'm going to have a sip of tea and then get back onto a more. All right, game on. Things I'd like to see instead of big corporate bailouts with no strings attached. Things like instead of giving auto companies cash, guarantee them a huge order of public service electric vehicles, for example. Fast track the public transport and public sector fleet to, to electric and Anyway, there's all sorts, but I, I'm not going to go into more detail. The solutions are right there. They'd help stimulus and reinvigorate the economy, save governments massive amounts of money in the long run, and help address climate change. We need to put that forward. We need to be vocal about that as a movement and, uh, and, and as individuals and citizens. A final important point on bailouts and recovery. My goodness, it's going to be a long episode, my longest ever episode. But this is a, point, a key point. I'm going to, um, I'm actually going to go, let me go back to the Bloomberg article again because there's a good, uh, good little section in that. And, quote, according to the Federal Reserve, of the 55 trillion increase in US household wealth in the last decade after the great financial crisis, the top 10% captured 74%, of which over half went to the top 1%. 
I'd not be surprised to see the great COVID-19 crisis write about 15 to 20 trillion off the US household wealth over the next coming years. If the bottom 50% are disproportionately hit, and if they do not benefit equitably from the subsequent uh, recovery, I doubt many of them will be prioritizing climate action, and the backlash could make France's yellow vest protest look very tame indeed. End quote. That is pretty stark figures. All of the gains are from the top 10% and over half of them are top 1%. And the losses are felt by people with the least. And that's got to change. You know, that's, that's a change worth fighting for. We need climate justice. We need social justice. Anyway, I don't get to choose what the stimulus is. But we can, as citizens, do everything we can to hold the feet against the fire of the people who are making choices and make sure that these bailouts come in a helpful way but and that a conditional environmental impact and you know absolutely does not leave the poorest people behind you know this is not just a moment for dirty industries to seize the moment and prop up their profits with public funds we need to get the conversation flowing about climate change again we need to make sure that climate change is part of the discussion and we need and we can all, if we're sat at home, we can write to our representative parliament now. We can we can use this time to support our local environment groups and 350.orgs and the other, and you know, Fridays for Future movements. They're all going online right now and they're all mobilizing. So if you're unsure what to do, get going on all those newsletters and offer your support and time and call and write to your local parliamentary person wherever you are and whatever your country is. So all sorts of ups and downs. I want to finish with something that's very special. The only thing more infectious than Corona right now is kindness. (laughs) There's been an explosion of it amongst the people, you know, a billion acts of kindness happening daily. You know, people are looking after their communities, shopping for the vulnerable healthcare, you know, healthcare workers and other key workers laying it all down day after day, you know, for the good of the community and the people, you know, it's not just them. You know, who who hasn't heard a touching personal tale of a young person giving up their place in the in the supermarket line for a disoriented, scared elderly person or, you know, communities rallying despite the inherent challenges of not being allowed to touch and, and go close to people. The em- emotional acts of, you know, gratitude, singing, clapping from balconies around the world for their frontline workers. You know. I don't think it's possible to overstate the impact this sort of shift will have on communities and our societies. And I think that... That kindness is going to be so important moving forwards as we rebuild our new emerging societies after this crisis. And that, you know, that collective humanity also gives me heart and hope moving forward. So we're all the better for having all that kindness around. So so let's channel our despair and our empathy and that kindness into action. This is Sam Ward on Climate Change Unfolding, my longest ever episode. (laughs) I'll see you next time.